0: Hey, it's Danielle. Would you like a $50 Amazon gift card? Here is how you enter a chance to win. Right now, Failing Motherhood is turning four years old and it's almost Mother's Day. So we're doing an annual drive for ratings and reviews, which are huge for search rankings, for potential listeners to find us and for them to size up the quality of the podcast. So if you have been enjoying Failing Motherhood, whether this is your first few times listening or you've been here the whole time, I'm offering extra incentive to put in a quick two to three sentence review inside Apple. When you leave yours, screenshot it and then send it to me over Instagram DM or email. And I am going to give one listener that leaves a review a $50 Amazon gift card on Mother's Day. We have some really exciting Failing fatherhood episodes coming up. So please follow the podcast if you haven't yet and leave that rating or review so that more moms and more parents know they are not alone if they feel like they're failing their child on a daily basis. We need each other and I'm so grateful you are here.
1: My kids did okay at school, but having to go. And spend so many hours doing, you know, following instructions, right? Doing everything that you're told exactly, you know, they say what to do and how to do it and doing that for so many hours. As soon as I picked my kid up and we came home, that was it. They just couldn't function. They couldn't be told what to do. Even like, don't put your shoes on the couch, Ah, you know, would just be like, we talk about, you know, a rebellious child, right? So I really had to stop and think, what do I want? What do I want as a parent? What relationship do I want with my child?
0: Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience. Too much yelling, not enough play. There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you, you feel like you're screwing everything up, and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud, this podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out, That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Hey, it's Danielle. How do you possibly feel like the parent your kids need when the only viable option is to homeschool them and they have high needs and neurodivergence and resist everything you ask them to do? My guest today, Afsaneh Maradian, is a homeschooling coach and author of the beloved picture book series, Jamie is Jamie. As a homeschooling coach, she guides adults by giving them the language to communicate effectively with their neurodiverse children. Empowering them to create learning spaces that are safe and inclusive so their children can thrive. In this episode, she shares her inspiration for creating her book series. In her words, when I get angry, I get brilliant. And makes the case for taking gender out of play in preschool. She then shares how she found herself homeschooling after teaching, writing curriculum, and being a huge advocate for public schools. She was tasked with finding a way to make it work, and she did just that and now shares that wisdom with other struggling parents. So if your child has autism, ADHD, sensory processing, anxiety, and or is strong-willed, you'll resonate with so much of Afsaneh's journey. She gives two great pieces of free advice you'll want to remember, as well as ways to be open-minded, that you and your child's journey might look more unconventional than you were expecting, but that's okay. You are the parent they need. Let's dive in. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Afsane Maradian. Hey, how are you?
1: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here and get to speak with you.
0: Yes, thank you so much for taking the time because I could talk to you about any number of topics. We're going to circle back to homeschooling and your journey and your book and all the things. But before we dive in, just go ahead and reintroduce yourself to my audience. Who are you and who's in your family?
1: So my name is Absinthe Maradian. I am the founder of MLC Homeschool Coaching, and I'm a picture book author of the Jamie is Jamie series. I live with my husband and my 10 and a half year old non-binary child.
0: Yeah. And where are you located? Right now, I'm in Oaxaca,
1: Mexico. I go between Oaxaca, Mexico, New York City, sometimes Florida, depending on the weather. I don't want to do snow anymore. I, don't, I try to avoid humidity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one advantage of world schooling. Nice. Good plan. Yeah. When you world school, you can kind of plan, you know, the weather you want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the weather is getting crazy, so it might be hard to predict because with California just got snow the other day. <laughs>
1: That's very true.
0: That's a different show topic, I think, right? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, that's all we'll say about that. Okay, so I have to pre-qualify. Have you ever felt like you were failing motherhood?
1: More times than I can count. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Okay. Then you're one of us, right? So many
1: examples. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, and I know that if listeners clicked on this episode because they are hoping to homeschool or are homeschooling. I'm sure that they don't run dry. The well doesn't run dry with reasons to feel like it is hard or they are really trying their best or there is a lot going on there with that relationship that they care a lot about. So they're gonna eventually feel like they're failing. And I think that's part of your journey that we'll get into in a second here. But the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was your book, Jamie is Jamie. I actually stumbled across it like 3 days ago at Lakeshore at my local Lakeshore Learning Center and I was like, oh, I'd recognize this name. Don't see that name very often. It has to be the same one of the guy I'm interviewing in like 3 days. And so I read it and I loved it and just give us like a quick snippet of what that book series is about and what led you to create it.
1: Sure. So, the first in the series is Jamie is Jamie, a book about being yourself and playing your way and it was inspired by, you know, when I get angry, I get brilliant. That's kind of how I, how I feel about myself. So when my kid was three, you know, my child was born female, we used her and called her a girl until they got older and told us that we were wrong. And then we knew better. So when my kid was three, They loved superheroes, absolutely loved them. And in a couple of different occasions, they would go over to some boys and ask if they could play with their superheroes. And the boys would say, no, these aren't for girls. And I would just get so upset because I grew up with free to be you and me and we're not supposed to have these gender stereotypes anymore. And play is supposed to be gender neutral and all these things that I thought we were past. And then my child, was on the receiving end of it and dealing with those limitations, right? From the gender, the idea of gendered toys. And I just thought, you know, there really needs to be a book where kids just play and it just doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. So that's Jamie. Jamie starts a new school, plays with everyone and everything, is a really awesome friend to have. And the kids want to know if Jamie's a boy or a girl and you never find out because it just doesn't matter. And so Jamie is whoever, whatever the reader really wants Jamie to be. And that's it for the whole series. There's never anything that identifies Jamie. Jamie can be a boy, a girl, trans, non-binary, whatever you need. Because my child also had a really hard time seeing themselves in the picture books that we had. And I thought, you know, we've got to loosen this up a little bit. We've got to just create way more space for all of the kids that exist. And sometimes it's about appearance But I think in Jamie's case, it's really about personality and wanting to just feel like it's okay to be who you are. Like if you're a boy and you want to play with a doll, if you're a girl and you want to play with superheroes, like we're not supposed to have any of those as adults, we're not supposed to put any of those judgments or restrictions on play anymore. But of course it still happens. And it happens in the toy store because the packaging is all gendered and we haven't gotten as far ahead as I think we had hoped. And then the kids kind of are on the receiving end and they kind of suffer from the limitations sometimes, because then if they want to play with something and they think it's wrong, then they think maybe who they are is wrong. Right. And that's not what we want for preschool age kids and kindergarten, first grade kids. We we want them to build confidence and to love who they are and to feel celebrated for who they are because We need them to learn and develop skills, and they do that through play. So we don't want to make them feel embarrassed or ashamed about how they're playing. We want to keep them safe. I was a preschool teacher in another life, and like some play is not safe. (laughs) Some play is not okay. (laughs) But in general, we want to keep them safe, but we want to keep them learning and exploring and being creative and using their imaginations. So that's what started the series. And there's three books in the series now that deal with different things. So what are the other two? The second is Jamie and Bubby. Jamie spends the day with great grandma and they just walk around the neighborhood and have a lovely time. And Bubby makes some mistakes. Bubby makes some assumptions. Someone with short hair must be a woman. Someone with long hair must be a man. They run into someone they've known before who has since changed genders and pronouns and names. And so it's all about, it's a book about people's pronouns. Jamie and Bubby. A Book About People's Pronouns is the title. The titles are always so long. <laughs> and it really just shows how to use pronouns, what's the singular they, how to use a singular they if you're not sure. So rather than make an assumption that it's a he or a she, you could just use singular they. How do you ask to find out what someone's pronouns are? So it's really just how do you be mindful and respectful of how you know pronouns are something that change and that that's okay. And then the third book is called Jamie's Class Has Something to Say, a book about sharing with grownups. And that's more about self-advocacy, actually. It's a little bit different. It's not so focused on gender, but it's really about adults listening to what kids like and dislike and who they are as individuals and making them see, feel, you know, feel seen and heard and respected. As individuals, even though they're these little people. Mm. And so it's really, you know, how do you share important information with your adults, which can be so scary for kids. And then the flip side is, as adults, how do you receive that information without being dismissive or with, you know, even if it challenges what you think should be done or how you think it should be done, how do you really listen to that so that when something really important is going on, kids have an adult that they can trust and feel safe to confide in, which becomes a really important part of childhood. Because some of the big things are really big things. And then as they grow into you know adolescence, the big things are even bigger. And maybe it's not them, maybe it's happening to someone else. And so how do you make sure that there's that trust and open communication that starts when they're really young so that they never feel like they're on their own to handle really big deal things that we don't want them to handle on that's
0: so important.
1: Yeah. So those are the three books. So they really focus on communication, creating space, valuing and celebrating kids for who they are as individuals. And then really the tool, the communication tools for in the back, there's tips for adults. So how, you know, how how do you ask questions? How do you raise the things? How do you have the conversations? So, and the kids really like them because they just, want to be who they are. So the, a book saying, go be yourself. They're like, yay! Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank
0: you for the permission slip. Granted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so important. Those were huge key fundamental topics that protect the mental health of kids and really pave the way for them to have the support they need to be successful in the long run and making that available to them early on. And through that really powerful parent-child relationship where it means the most to hear it within that context. So, I mean, I'm sure that your books are in classrooms and, you know, there's other ways to use them as well. But for parents, I feel like that's the best conversations happen over books. I mean, that's how they've happened at my house. That is what I recommend to my clients is like, I don't know how to talk about this. Get a book. There is one and there's a good one. I guarantee it. (laughs) And so I added Jamie's Jamie, but I hadn't seen the other two yet. So I'm going to add those to my client resource Amazon book favorites wish list because we just need to know that they're out there. That's the joy of being in an information age is like overload. So when we need something, when we need it, we don't rock able to find it. So I love that. So any last thoughts that you wanted to speak on that topic to parents in? my audience, my listeners that are listening in and they may read the book, what are like just a couple thoughts you have when you have their ear, you feel like it's really important to communicate?
1: I don't think childhood really has a gender. And I think it's more important to focus on the play and the fun and the connection and the creating good humans, you know, and good friends rather than feeling like there's something wrong if they wear that or want to do that, or, you know, there really doesn't have to be any concern. And really creating, by creating those inclusive spaces, we're then establishing that it's okay if our kids are LGBTQIA+, that there's nothing wrong with that. And that is just, they're continuing on their journey of who they are as people. So I think it's really important because we just don't really know who our kids are the first few years of their life, they're developing. And then as they continue to develop, we get to discover and re-meet them over and over and over again because they keep changing. So if we just focus on the play, the conversation, the activity of it and the joy of it and leave out the gender part, then we get to build up their confidence in who they are and we're not accidentally sending messages that there's something wrong about who they are or who their friend is or whatever. We really don't want to do that. So I think creating the most respectful, inclusive spaces for kids their whole life from the time they're babies is really the most important thing for you know laying those foundations for the future.
0: Mm-hmm. What has been a couple of things that have meant a lot to either you or your child that you know, allowed for that inclusive space that really just like, you know, took that extra step or made them feel extra comfortable that you both noticed. And it just made a big difference, like simple things. Is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Well, I think when my child changed their pronoun to they them, it wasn't really a big deal in the beginning because they said, oh, my pronouns are she, they. So I didn't really change that much. I didn't really think that much about it. I didn't make a big announcement to family. And then I saw every time someone referred to my child as she, my kid would cringe because it wasn't who they are. Mm. So it's like calling a girl he or calling a boy she. And then I had to change because it it actually, you know, we go on autopilot when we talk to our kids, we don't even think about what we're saying. And so to change a pronoun is actually harder than it seems because you're so just used to saying she, she 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 right no they 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 so but when you do it it's like I don't have a choice this is my child can you imagine if your parent doesn't use your correct pronoun and then I had to kind of be very assertive and consistent with grandparents and you know not all extended family agrees accepts does it is interested in doing it but at least it's clear on, you know, who my child is and we fight to create that space for them with whichever adults, you know, an extracurricular class or at camp or whatever, that we make sure that, you know, this is our child and they should be respected and their pronouns are they, them, right? And then, so my kid doesn't feel like they're on their own having to fight their own battle. So I think that that was kind of a
0: example. Yeah. That makes me think I was just signing my kids up for summer camp. And I don't remember there being a spot where you can kind of designate pronouns on there. So how is that like a thing you have to manually communicate? And, you know, how do you try to do that without putting all that responsibility on your child? Yeah, I mean, I did communicate that
1: to the camp. And then I also chose it's a really, really special camp. It's really you know the history of the camp is like a hundred year old you know working man circle Jewish socialists from a hundred years ago started a sleepway camp like i I just wanted a camp where like my kid could connect to their Jewish roots in a way that also brings in history and culture and songs and playing soccer and swimming in a lake. So it's definitely not a run of the mill camp. But this is a camp that like so many friends over the years sent their kids to that I I was like, when I have a kid, my kid's gonna go there, right? So
0: yeah. Oh, no, that sounds like so much fun.
1: I mean, I think you treat it like a dietary restriction, right? Like if your child can't have bread, that can't better know your kid can't have bread, right? So it would be the same thing. And my child's pronouns are Know they, them, or he, them, or whatever your child's pronouns are, and this is what my child needs in order to be successful. And you have to do that also if you have, you know, a neurodiverse child that you want to send to camp. The camp has to know who the child is and what does the child need in order to be successful because camp is no joke. If you're paying for it it as a lot of money, you do not want your kid going and being miserable (laughs) and like sick the whole time, you know, right? So it's kind of the same thing. We advocate for our kids all of the time in so many different ways. And this just is another way that has to be done.
0: Yeah. I like being able to relate that to the other ways that we're already doing that because yeah, it's just, it makes it so much more tangible and important because we already are doing that for our kids. And this is just one more other way that sets your child apart in a great way that you want to make sure to celebrate and get across to the people who need to know it. And so they are supported. Okay. So anything else on that topic? Because I feel like we could spend the whole hour, you know, just diving into that, but I want to be able to the the homeschooling and everything that you're doing now as well. Now, I think
1: it's connected to the homeschooling stuff. And I feel like anyone listening that reads any of the Jamie books and has questions or wants to discuss it, find me, DM me on Instagram. I want to talk about it. You know, I love discussing it with adults. I love doing readings with kids. I'll just share one super quick little story. One of my favorite classroom readings of when the first Jamie is Jamie book came out, I read to a third grade class. And I asked, you know, when we were having our conversation, I think I asked like, has anyone ever gotten you a toy or present that you really didn't like? and then one after another every girl in the class had a creepy doll story and they just shared <laughs> like the creepy doll sitting on their shelf that they really don't like and it was amazing <laughs> that they all had one and they wanted they really wanted to talk about it cuz they'd never gotten to share that before that the doll totally freaks it. it's my sister's doll my aunt gave it to me whatever right and totally freaks them out and so that was a pretty wonderful moment, I think, that became like the creepy doll support group in class.
0: So, big emotions from little people are running the show at your house. Is that right? Do they fall apart when something doesn't go their way? Ugh, just once. Why can't they accept the fact that the answer is no, am I right? The struggle is real. You're not alone, and you're in the right place. When your days are filled with relentless pushback, it is so hard to feel like a good parent. Especially when your in-laws aren't shy in sharing how they think your kids just need a good spanking. Every time you lose it when they lose it, you feel like a failure. The worst part is, without addressing the root of your child's behavior, you're doomed to play a fruitless game of whack-a-mole, reacting rather than preventing the next conflict. And next time, nothing's going to go differently. The good news is, when you have a handful of effective discipline tools in your pocket, you're able to step into full confidence as their parent, and parenting actually becomes a whole lot easier. I promise, you're not failing them. You just need more tools. So if you have a tiny human who's full of love and yet so, so difficult, if you can only be so nice for so long, if you've tried everything and still feel defeated on the daily, my free class, Authentic and Unapologetic, is for you. In this free training, I share five huge misconceptions in parenting strong-willed kids that inadvertently invite defiance, four mistaken goals they're using their behavior to meet and what to do about it, how to let judgment roll off your back and truly feel like the parent your kids need, and why what you're currently doing just isn't working and isn't going to anytime soon. So go to parentingwholeheartedly.com slash unapologetic to access this exclusive free training immediately. That's parentingwholeheartedly.com slash unapologetic. The link will be in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> like finally we can get this off our chest. <laughs> what is with you grown-ups and these dolls? Why? <laughs> That's hilarious, but yeah, they're probably like I don't know who you think this is for, but this is not me. This is not the way I want to play. I want to be able to like get down and dirty and take these dolls' clothes off and you know create all these scenarios. And I have to just keep it on a shelf. Like okay. I don't get it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad you had that. Okay, so you are a homeschooling coach now that never intended to homeschool. Correct. Absolutely. I am a longtime <laughs> educator. A firm believer in public education,
1: and I went to you know, fit a public school in my life. But big advocate and defender of public education and all that. So it was never my intention to homeschool, and I actually had a whole list of criticisms of homeschooling
0: before <laughs> before I ooh <laughs> how the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, because I think as parents
1: we are constantly put into unpredictable situations. What do our kids need? How do we meet those needs? And where I was at the time, it was only academic preschool that was available. And we tried it and my kid did okay at school, but having to go and spend so many hours doing, you know, following instructions, right? Doing everything that you're told exactly, you know, they say what to do and how to do it. And doing that for so many hours, as soon as I picked my kid up and we came home, that was it. They just couldn't function. They couldn't be told what to do. Even like, don't put your shoes on the couch, Rah! you know, would just be like, we talk about, you know, a rebellious child, right? So I really had to stop and think, what do I want? What do I want as a parent? Which relationship do I want with my child? Do I want to send them? to school to be part of a program where they're a model student and they are doing everything that's asked of them, but it's way more than what they can handle. So that then, but when I pick them up and I'm home with them, I have to deal with the worst, absolute worst behavior because that's the safe space to unwind. Right. And I didn't sign up for that. I really didn't. I really wanted to like have fun with my kid and be able to enjoy parenting and So then it became pretty clear to stay in this dynamic and to stay in this environment with such a small child, it's highly unlikely that they're going to love reading and writing. And, you know, they push when the academics are pushed on children who are like three, four years old and they're not ready for it. Some kids go with the flow and other kids really have some damage from it. And so we had to like back off. I had to totally back off on writing for years my kid did not start writing a lot in first grade which is you know typically when kindergarten first grade i had to really back off because they pushed it so hard so young on my child that there was a real trigger there there was like some actual damage done and if you understand that and you build the skills in other ways and you introduce the writing and you know this is kind of where it's like oh i've had to figure out a lot as a homeschooling parent i really should be a coach <laughs> like there's a lot there's a lot to you know, <laughs> help parents out with here. Yeah, to get to the point where now my kid is writing and it's fine. And there's no issues, but I didn't really see that I had much of a choice. I felt like our relationship was going to suffer, and eventually, my child was not going to be okay. You know, it's not it didn't seem like a healthy, thriving dynamic. So we started homeschooling, and that was a really unexpected journey and. I've, you know, I worked in a a Montessori school, I taught in, you know, I've had a long career teaching different, different grades and different environments, and nothing prepares you for your child. And, you know, my child has some sensory processing issues, you know, frustration issues, all kinds of stuff, right? It was certainly not easy. It was a major struggle. So the question of like, do you ever feel like you're failing? Like, yeah, sitting there in absolute dread. I'm trapped homeschooling my kid who now doesn't know enough to go be in the grade that they're in and is more advanced in some subjects than the other kids. So they're, you know, quote unquote behind, right. In the standardized way they're behind in some subjects, but then they're more advanced in others. There's no school that's going to be a good fit for them. And I'm really tired of getting kicked and, you know, screamed at every day. Like This is awful for me, right? And I then had to use, you know, everything that I knew about education, everything I knew about child development, everything, 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 everything that I knew, and say, like, okay, who is this child? What does this child need? How can I get the skills in there? Make it fun. Make it interesting. Meet their needs every step of the way, and handle the stuff that comes up. And so we got there. We did it. (laughs) But like, hooray! it was very much a struggle. So I understand. I don't say everyone homeschool, (laughs) everyone take your kid out of school and homeschool. Like, no, it's really hard. And I don't think that schools are set up to be able to receive and educate every single child in a way that every single child can thrive. So I think more and more families are choosing homeschooling because it seems like, you know, the only viable option. When you have a child that, isn't going to do the assignments, you know, when you think, oh, homeschooling is just go buy a curriculum and then we'll do that and it'll be good. And then your kid doesn't want to do the assignments. It actually requires a bit more understanding of what the process is than maybe what you thought. Cause it's like, oh, my teacher just showed up and just, you know, we did the next page in the spelling workbook. That's what it means to be a teacher. And like, it's actually a bit more than that, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's the communication a lot of a lot of teachers don't have great communication. I'm not trying to say that they're all brilliant, but there are some wonderful teachers out. I was a wonderful teacher, so you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say negative things about teachers, but there's a communication piece, there's the child development piece, and then there's the planning and how do you really figure out what your expectations are, what you want your child to learn, where you want your child to be, and then how do you get them there? And so all of those things are just not always skills or you know, knowledge that we acquire in life, especially if our parents didn't weren't particularly interested in what we had to say or how we felt. It's really, really hard because you want to say do this and you expect your kid to do it. Right. And we know if you those of us who've got high needs kids, they won't do it. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You can threaten, you can bribe, you can threaten, they're not gonna do it. Right. (laughs) It's not gonna happen. So then what do you do? Right? Do you cry yourself to sleep and worry that your kid isn't learning enough? Or do you get empowered, right? Get the information, get the tools you need, get empowered to be able to actually turn things around. So, that's where I come in. That's what I support parents with. And, you know, I especially I work with all kinds of families, but I especially love working with families that are kind of in crisis, really dealing with those power struggles and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. It seems like you're just stuck in it. It's always going to be this bad. So, I love to come in and make those changes and turn that around really quick. And also working with parents who are neurodiverse themselves, because it's really lovely to go through the process with them that they're going to go through with their own kids. So yeah, it's one of my favorite relationships to be in with um, coaching clients. Yeah. So that's the journey. I mean, I didn't expect it. I didn't know, but I'm really grateful and honored that I get to do this kind of work. So.
0: Oh, no, it sounds like you're made for it. And it sounds like really powerful, beautiful work. And that's so important for both of those generations of healing through that process of learning how to kind of unlearn education and do it their way. And, you know, that's the goal is just to be able to feel really confident that, yeah, you're not meeting maybe the standardized you know, checklist or the pathway that was recommended. Exactly. But you know that you're doing the right thing for your family. And, you know, that's where we all want to be. But there is so many hiccups to getting there, I'm sure that you've seen. And I know one of the first things that you talk about is like the resistance and the shockwave that comes with this, like, hit you under the knees. I thought I had everything planned. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be cupcakes and rainbows. And then they have so much resistance. Like, where is that coming from? And like, why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it's a
1: really like, it's a very interesting thing. Resistance, we all have resistance. If you think back to when you were in school, there were all kinds of ways you resisted. Was it, you know, did you go sharpen your pencil way more often than necessary? Did you drop your pencil so you had to... did you maybe you know throw your pencil so you could have an excuse to get up and give your friend a note or whatever right like all the things that we do <laughs> to procrastinate or you know delay having to do something we don't want to do so homeschooling removes the peer pressure and removes the authority of the school so at school if you don't do it there's a clear consequence you're going to miss recess there's a call home the other kids are going to maybe you know be mean about it because you're the only one not doing it. Right. So there's an enormous amount of pressure from the environment you're in to do the assignment, which is why parents just don't understand other, you know, sometimes there isn't resistance when you homeschool. I would love to meet those. I'm so jealous of those families. When I see a mom tell a child, go get your shoes on. We're going to leave. And they say, okay, mommy. And they go get their shoes. on, It's like, Wow, that is so not my life at all. That is not, (laughs) my child is not wired like that. That is not my day to day existence. But it seems so lovely. I applaud you. So maybe, you know, a family, not every family has resistance. Not every family struggles with homeschooling. You know, sometimes the curriculum is brilliant and it works well. But when a child resists, they're actually establishing a boundary. And so it's a brilliant thing. It's a really important thing because we all need to establish boundaries and we need our boundaries to be respected. But it's hard as parents to respect those boundaries because you say, okay, it's time for math. And the child says, no, I don't want to do math. And it's like, what do you mean? You have to do math. No, I'm not doing math, right? So it can very quickly go very, very badly. And I think there's so much stress and anxiety on the part of the parent when you're homeschooling because you're nervous if it's going to go well anyway, and you've made the decision to do it, but you don't feel very confident in your ability to do it. So then when your child resists, it seems like validation that you're not good at this, that you made the wrong decision, that your child isn't going to learn as much, won't be set up for the future, all of those fears and anxieties that we have that unfortunately society really reinforces. And maybe it's not just society. Maybe it's actually your parents, my father, all of the time. Like every month is like, oh, so is my kids, Roya, is Roya going to go to school? How's Roya going to be educated? Don't you think Roya needs an education? (laughs) like, "We, we educate, we homeschool. It's an education. So you know, what about socialization? What about friends? You know, I always at holiday time, I always on social media put up a drinking game, like bingo, like take a drink every time someone says, what about socialization? You know, like, <laughs> Just keep drinking. Yep, It can be coffee. It doesn't have to be alcohol, but like, just don't respond. Just take a sip. You know, like it's so unfortunately we don't always get Endless support from the adults in our lives about our decision to homeschool. So, as soon as a child resists, it's like, oh my gosh, the negative voices in our head are right. This was the wrong move. I can't do this. This is, you know, my kid doesn't respect me as their teacher. They're challenging my authority and all these things. So, the thing about resistance, the first thing to keep in mind is it's just, it's not about you, it's them. Mm -hmm. Like, it really has nothing to do with you as the parent, absolutely nothing. Your child resisting out loud is actually a reflection of how safe they feel to be with you and how much they trust you, that they can be who they really are versus at school. Doesn't matter if you're tired, hungry, sick, suck it up and do the assignment. Nobody cares, right? At home, they know that you care. You're their parent. You love them more than anyone in the world. So they can say, no, I don't want to do this. So then it really becomes... How do you respond? How do you figure out what's wrong? What's the underlying cause of the resistance? And where it normally leads to, again, where I come in is helping to figure out what are these causes because kids are very different and what's causing it is not the same for every child. But if it's consistent, then it usually means that they need a totally different kind of learning experience than what is on offer right now. So kids can't do like They learn when they can. And if they can't do something, they can't do it. So it doesn't matter how much you motivate. Oh, just get it done. And then you can have extra screen time. I can't, I can't. Okay, well, if you don't do it, then you don't get any screen time. So all that does is push a child into a corner where they then tend to come out swinging. Like Then they have to fight to get you to understand their boundary and respect their boundary. And so... There has to be a totally different approach, but that approach has to include being open to the idea that different types of activities, a different type of learning is required in this situation, which I know can be overwhelming and scary to parents because they feel like, well, the experts make the curriculum. I'm not an expert. I'm not a teacher. All I can do is buy someone else's curriculum and use it with my child. And so where I come in is I actually fill in that gap and empower parents so that for the next 10 to whatever years, they can actually figure out, buy a curriculum, but know how to modify it, supplement, change, create their own, whatever, because their unique child needs something that a one-size-fits-all curriculum can't provide. And I write curriculum. I know you know it's impossible to write a curriculum that's going to work for every single child using it. Yeah. That's literally impossible. So there just has to be some openness to making some changes and really figuring out what your child needs. And it's not rocket science and it's not major. And what always helps, though, I will give some free advice right now. What always helps is when your child resists to validate it, to accept it and validate it. So if they say, I can't do this, it's too hard. We always say, no, it isn't. Yes, you can do it. But if you say, oh, it's too hard, can you show me what's too hard about it? Immediately, your child can calm down. The second you say, it's not too hard for you, you can do it, they're becoming stressed. They can't stay calm and they are going to get into a point where they can't self-regulate anymore because it's too hard for them. They can't do it. So if we accept it, even if you think it's nonsense. Right? It's always like on the doctor shows, they always say treat the pain, right? So even if you think your child is just trying to get out of doing math because whatever, and you, know, you wish that they weren't like that, the second you say you agree with them, oh, it's too hard. Oh, this is boring. Oh, then they can calm down because you really want them to stay regulated and calm so that you can have a conversation and figure out how math is going to happen. Yes. Right. Cause, like, of course they need to do some math. But what it looks like, you know, there's more than one way to learn something. There's more than one way to do something. So, figuring out what's going to work for your child, you want them involved. Right. So, just validate the pain. You know, think whatever you want to think. Think it's nonsense. Think they're manipulating. Think they're lying. Think whatever you want to think. But valid what comes, what your face shows and what your words are is that's too hard. Okay. I hear you. That's too hard. So can you show me? And then you start to ask questions to kind of dig in there and figure, try to get a sense of what's going on. And the other thing I'll add is a ton of the underlying stuff with behavior with kids is that they might be hungry because they have growth spurts all the time and you don't know. So if your child is starting to get like a little whiny or a little like, eh, you know, feed them. Okay, let's put this aside for a minute. Let's have a snack. Let's have a smoothie or something. Get some calories because that's energy. And then try again, you know, so I feel like we underestimate how hungry kids get because at school, we, it wasn't about our needs at all, right? It was do what everyone else is doing. That's the point of school and be conditioned to, you know, do this when the bell rings, do this when the teacher says, you know, there's conditioning that happens. But homeschooling is the opposite. It's all about your needs, your interests, who you are as an individual. So it kind of, there tends to be problems when parents are like, oh, I'm going to do school at home because the kid can't react in the same way because it's a totally different setting. So you can eat whenever, you can drink whenever, you can take a break whenever, you can, you know, there's no rules. You can be totally flexible. And as long as it's fun, it should be fun. If it's not fun for you, it's not fun for them. And if it's not fun for you, why are you doing it? If you're doing it because you don't have a choice, then call me because we have to make it fun for you. Like, it has to be fun for both of you. Right. Like, this is your life. This is how you're spending your days, right? (laughs) Like, we want to be fun with our kids. We don't want to be fighting with our kids for them to do two minutes of math. So that's the whole point. Like, this is homeschooling creates such an awesome, amazing experience for learning to happen way beyond what can happen in a classroom with, you know, 25, 30 other kids there. So if it doesn't feel like that, okay, let's talk. Like that's, it should feel like that. And it can feel like that. It just, you might just not know how to do that yet. So then you, you know, learn how to do it and then you get to have that. So, but that's the general rule. If you're struggling, they're struggling. If you're not happy, they're not happy. If you're clearly stressed about their learning, they're seeing that. And then they're getting stressed and underconfident about their learning too. So these are all things that get turned around. I mean, you you know, Danielle, as a right, these are all things that we work on. And it's what are you thinking about it? What are you, how are you prepared for homeschooling? How do you set yourself up for success so that you can set your child up for success? What does that mean? It's so different for each child, for each parent. Yes. But you're the best one to figure that out because you know yourself and you know your child better than anyone. So I don't think it means give up on homeschooling. I think it means that you just have to get you know a little bit of learning happening on your part to make sure that it's all set up for success. So that's my passion. That's what I love about it.
0: Yeah. No, I 100% back you up. And you would say some of the same messages that come up with my clients all the time is that validation piece and like that collaborative problem solving piece and the it's so much more about us than it is them piece. <laughs> They're all so interconnected. And it's all about like the stories in our head and the way we're interpreting their behavior and the expectations we have of ourselves in them. And this is not easy stuff. This is not something that you should have known by now. This is not like, you know, yeah, like you said, it's not rocket science. It's simple things that You just haven't learned yet. And when you do, it unlocks a whole new world of potential with your relationship with your child to take the pressure off. Take the pressure off you, take the pressure off them, and be able to just see more future more freedom in that future, especially if you're homeschooling. And I'm sure that that's so hope giving and energizing for you. And when you see those light bulbs go off and you see those, you know, outcomes happen for your clients, you know, that's why we do what we do, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. And then there are definitely, you know, the parents who the second child is so different. And then they come to me and they say, I, I know parenting, I've done this and none of it worked <laughs> for the second, you know, and it, even if you have two kids who are neurodiverse, They're so different. Neurodiversity is each individual. There's no one, no two people are the same. Mm -hmm. And neurodiverse or not, no two people are the same. Nobody processes things exactly the same or has the same personality. So that sends parents for such a loop when the rules just don't, everything they know about schooling or homeschooling and parenting just no longer applies to this one child in their house. And it's like, oh no, what do I do now?
0: Throw it out the window.
1: Yep. <laughs> so I really, it's like parenting is such a trip and you really <laughs> have to be so just flexible and open minded, but really like this isn't me, it's them. And it's so hard. I think we just take things as such a, a challenge to, you know, it's an affront, it's a challenge to who we are. But I was, te- you know, I was teaching for a million years before I had my own kids. So I had no dignity left. I had no, you know, there's nothing like being in classrooms full of of kids from, you know, young to adolescent to even college and graduate school level, right? Like they're kind of all the same as preschool kids. But, you know, whatever. I had chalk. I had the chalk line across my (laughs) butt. You know, I whatever. I don't care. You know, my kid would have to, I'm not saying my kid can't hurt my feelings, right? Because when they say they hate you, that (laughs) stinks. Yep. Oof, yes, I can look at what is happening with my child. And I can see the development, I can see the hormones. you know, I can see now my kid, you know, once they turn 10, the hormones start going. And it's really a shock to a lot of parents, because the personality changes a lot. I mean, as each kid is different how they deal with it. But, you know, I had a child who really their personality changed a lot once they hit 10. And, you know, just the rudeness, and just, oh, you don't love the rudeness. You can't love that. You love your child, but you don't love the rudeness. And so the rudeness coupled with the insults, the whatever, and to be able to watch that and say, it seems like you're dealing with a lot of really big stuff right now. Would you like a hug? And then, you know, for your child, Yes. Yes mom thank you and then a hug and then they just cry I'm like I don't know why I'm so angry I don't feel I I'm not angry at anything I just feel angry I know it's the hormones yeah do you need another hug <laughs> so I have endless hugs for you I'm not going to get mad at you because your hormones are starting to go a little you know go all over the place and that's scary for you and you know new and scary and you don't know why or what to do I'm not going to yell at you cuz you're being rude we do have a rude jar that you know everybody has to put money in, and when we get enough, we'll go out. We'll go out for a meal, or <laughs> I love that go, go ice skaters, You know, we'll go do something because I really can't stand the rudeness. I, I really I don't love it, but I'm not going to you know punish and yell and get upset over that. So it is a really tough thing to see this little person. Not as a reflection of you or a reflection of your parenting, but as their own person dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. And if you can like see that and listen, even when you're tired and stressed, you don't want to deal with it, you can still be, you know, kind and loving and kind of gracious about it. And if you're not, you can apologize, right? That's the rule. We all make mistakes. We all get tired. We all get impatient. All of us. There's no patience in any generation of my family. I am trying (laughs) to be, you know. I I search for patience. So when you're impatient and you get it wrong, you get to apologize and you get to try again and not make that mistake, hopefully, and try again the next day. And they have to apologize too. And they have to learn that some things are not okay and they can apologize and then they can get a do-over and a second chance and all that. So I think that's really the hardest, intense part of it all, but it's also the really beautiful part of parenting. And it's hard to see the beauty in it in those moments. Mm-hmm. But if you really don't see your child as an extension of yourself or like a, you know, a judgment, a report card of yourself yeah, and your ability. to parent, Yeah. If you see them as their own human being, then you can see, okay, healthy, happy people don't behave like this. So if my kid is being really angry and really rude or just, you know, going into crisis, having a meltdown or an explosion, they're in crisis. They need help. How do I help them? Instead of, okay, this behavior is unacceptable. Now I'm punishing you because your behavior needs to be different. You know, like my great grandmother used to say that children are like animals that have to be trained and they're really not like, they're really, really actually human beings. They're intellectual, emotional beings from the time they're born. And so if we see them that way, which is so counter to, you know, probably how we were raised, how I was raised, maybe how you were raised, you know, that idea like children need to be trained, need to be told what to do. It's our job to teach them how to exist rather than, okay, we're all at the table. Who are you? What do you think? What do you like? What do you want? Let's collaborate on it. So it's very, very different. But when you do that, it's a lot more pleasant. Parenting and homeschooling becomes a lot easier for you. I think the rule is the kid has to do more work during homeschooling than the parent. So when the parent's doing all the work and the kid is sitting there saying, no, I'm not going to do that, or I don't want to. And then the parent's doing most of the work that something is right. You have to press pause. If there's too much resistance, if there's, you know, too many meltdowns, tears, all that sort of stuff. If you're doing more of the work than your child is, you have to press pause and you have to make changes. You can't just keep going in the same way. So But there's a million solutions. Yeah. There's always a solution to every problem. It can always, it will always get better. You can always make it better. Always, always, always. But maybe not on your own. You might need to get help to figure that out.
0: Yeah. And that's okay. That's actually like a good thing, usually, because even more good comes from it than you think. And there's no reason why we can't ask for help, especially for our kids, because we're other advocates. That's why we're here. So well said. And go ahead and just share how listeners can connect with you, where you're at on the internet and, you know, what you have for offers available to work with you.
1: Sure. So mlccoaching.com is my website. And then maradian.absene is my Instagram handle, MLC Homeschool Coaching on Facebook. And like I said, you can send me a private message and I will absolutely respond. So I'm very, very easy to get a hold of. And you can see on the website, I have some digital products that are less expensive and one about dealing with resistance, the anti-resistance homeschooling roadmap, another, a master class on homeschooling with your child's triggers, and then a third on how to streamline planning and make it more hands-on and easier for you, especially if you're homeschooling more than one child, more than one level, more than one age, you know, how to just streamline the process and make it easy and more fun for you and for your kids. So those are digital products. And then I have one-to-one coaching where we really get to go into the heart of it, your expectations, who, you know, you as a student, what your ideas are about your child and how they learn and what they should learn and then who your child is and how do we Use all that information to really create the best learning experience for them so that they're thriving and you're having fun and everything gets so much calmer. We really want calm and peace in our days, right? Yes. That is absolutely possible with a neurodiverse, with a high needs kid. It's absolutely possible. I promise. It may look different and calm might mean something different, but you can achieve more calm, more collaboration. And, you know, your kids can absolutely love learning. So that's what I do as a coach.
0: Yes. Oh, so good. So needed. And I love that there's kind of a spectrum of options there. So you can, depending on where you're at and what you're struggling with, find what you're looking for there in your kind of library of resources. And it's so similar to, you know, one-on-one parenting coaching, one-on-one sleep coaching, homeschool coaching. Like they're all so interconnected. We're teaching a lot of the same tools when it comes to communication and you know, mindset and just the practical things to give you the capacity to do the things you want to do as a parent really well and help you feel a lot more confident about by holding your hand and giving you that support that you deserve because you're doing something really, really hard. And I feel like everybody deserves that as a parent. So I love that so much. And I will share all those resources in the show notes. So I wrap up every episode with the same question I ask every guest I have on, which is how are you the mom that your kids need?
1: I can use humor very well. When things can go into conflict and power struggle, I choose humor. And that is what my child needs. My child does not need a heavy hand. My kid needs to laugh and be redirected at pretty much any moment. And so going for the silly and the joke (laughs) is definitely what my kid needs. And the result is that my child is actually really funny. So my kid does that for me too. Oh, love that! And that really
0: helps. Yeah. So you know,
1: we had a flight canceled recently and had to sleep. We had to spend the night in the airport. No. And my kid grabbed, you know, the Starbucks bag and wrote, "Be positive. It's not just a blood type."
0: Oh my gosh, how clever! Like, <laughs> that's
1: hilarious. So you know, we could laugh about that at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> in the airport. You know, so. I am a big proponent for humor. I think it makes every situation way better when you can just either laugh at the situation or just distract yourself and think about something funny and share a laugh about something else. So that's me as a parent.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that so much because I can see it. And that is something that I do at my house. And it's one of the tools that I teach in my program as well. And we're always bringing to our live calls, like, how were you silly this week? And there's one mom in particular that every week she's like, okay, I have this new example. And it was like, you know, her daughter's saying, oh, this is the worst day of my life. And she's just like, oh, you think this is bad? What would happen if, you know, just sailed into like some ridiculous scenario that will never happen? And then they talk about, you know, the rationality of what they would do in that situation. And it just diffuses everything. Like, it's just magic. (laughs) So brilliant. And it makes you feel so good afterwards, too. Like you're just like I'm nailing this.
1: <laughs> well, I would like to stay regulated and calm and be laughing. I'd rather have you know laugh lines than frown lines, since I'm gonna have lines no matter what, <laughs> right? So I would rather, yes. I
0: would rather be laughing. Yes, we're gonna get lines, one or the other. Yes. <laughs> Choose which ones you want. Oh my God, that's so funny. I love that. Oh well, Afsana, thank you so much for your time. You really like threw a whole bunch of information at us, perspective and insight, as well as your story, which I feel like is the most powerful piece of just being able to know that you're not alone, what you're going through is normal, and there's help. And it's okay. You are still the parent that knows your kids the best, and you can just be a student of them, learn who they are as they tell you. And you can figure it out together what's going to be the best case scenario to help them thrive. And, you know, we're here to help. So thank you so much again for your time and for your resources. And so grateful to have connected with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Failing Motherhood. Your kids are so lucky to have you. If you loved this episode, take a screenshot right now and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me. If you're loving the podcast, be sure that you've subscribed and leave a review so we can help more moms know that they are not alone if they feel like they're failing motherhood on a daily basis. And if you're ready to transform your relationship with your strong-willed child and invest in the support you need to make it happen, schedule your free consultation using the link in the show notes. I can't wait to meet you. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on.